Welcome to You Don't Even Like This Band, a podcast about bands you probably don't even like. We hope you don't know this one. With your hosts, Adam Todd Brown, Andy Sell, and Travis Clark. Hey, everybody. Welcome to uh, the the Steve Earle season of the Unpops Music Podcast, a.k.a. Copperhead Pod, a.k.a. Copper Pod Road, a.k.a. Exit Podcast, a.k.a. I Pod All Right. We're going to have so many titles for this AKA podcast. A.k.a. Shut Up and Die Like a Podcaster. Right. So many. So many. A.k.a. The Pod Way. Yep. Yep. A.k.a. Pod Sentinel Blues. <laughs> A.K.A. the podcast starts now. Boom. Which it does. And the whole time, y'all, if you don't mind, I'm just, this is Travis fucking Clark. I'm just going to talk this way the whole episode <laughs> uh, of all season. I figure it's just a little more, get, get the right kind of vibe. You know what I'm saying? Please don't. Oh, yeah, come on. I'm oh, come already, on, He's got, I'm, al- I'm already out. This guy's got like two actual country albums, and then it's just rock music with a deep Southern accent. Hey, we're talking about Steve Earle this season, and I'm Adam Todd Brown. Who else is I'm, here? I'm Travis fucking Clark, and I'm here speaking in not my Southern accent. <laughs> who who else? I, who else? I'm, I'm Andy. Oh, Andy! Andy, it's so good to hear from you. It's been so long. Mm-hmm. We were scared the pandemic did things to your brain. Mm-hmm. Dandy. Pandemic. Okay, no, we're not doing that. We're Pandandy. We're not. That's not. We're not doing that. That's you not. You could have called video called us at least once, Brian Dandy. It's not taking off. I am saying that right now. No, it seems it seems pretty good. Pretty good. I got all excited because I was like, hell, hell yeah. Third season of Pod the Life. Let's fucking go. But nope. Haven't we done more than three seasons? We did a Limp Biscuit season. We did no. I mean, Pod the Life specifically. A corn. I want to do season three of corn. Oh, what is a, left to corncast? I want to go back to the field for a third There's harvest. Nothing left to corncast, Andy. I feel like there are there are stones we haven't turned. I we left it all on the fieldy. There's nothing there, left. <laughs> there are there are, there are ears we haven't shucked. Well, maybe we'll get to that. At some point, but this season, Steve Earle. How familiar was everyone with Steve Earle before? I knew we a few of his this? songs. I knew Copperhead Road. Mm-hmm. I know more of his Troubadour singer songwriting. I'm a sad man songs, but I also first, I think, really became aware of who Steve Earle is from a recognizable stance from his work in acting, from like The Wire yeah. and Treme and Treme, and had a little guest star on Thirty Rock. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Where he sings the ballad of Kenneth, Par- Kenneth Parcell. <laughs> yeah. Andy, I, how about you? About the same as Travis. I had heard... It's interesting because we go through all these... You know, we're going to get to this in the notes, but like he was a lot bigger than I ever thought he was. Because I, I don't remember hearing any of his stuff on the radio when I was a kid, the way I remembered hearing you know Springsteen and, and Petty and all these other guys. So I wasn't super familiar with him. I heard a few of his songs. I really liked the Let's Burn Down the Walmart song. I was a big fan of that one. And That's only few, if you play it backwards, it says that. <laughs> a, few, a few other songs. But, uh, but yeah, it was mostly I knew him because of The Wire and Treme. I fucking love Steve Earle. I've seen him in concert three times. I first was introduced to Steve Earle because he was doing a show in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, which they get no concerts. I was living there at the time. They get very few concerts, and I had never heard of Steve Earle, and they announced it on the radio, and then they played Copperhead Road, and I was like, oh, shit, I like that song a lot. And by that point in history, Steve Earle was deep into his, like, hating the Bush administration stuff. And I hated the Bush administration a whole bunch. And uh, I went and listened to a bunch of his music. And I was like, fuck, yeah, I'm going to go see Steve Earle in concert. And with Sioux Falls being Sioux Falls, a, a town that notoriously does not like paying for live entertainment. Weeks and weeks and weeks after the show was announced, I got a third row seat. Granted, it was because I went by myself partially, but still, I was in the third fucking row, and that concert was magic, and I've been a huge Steve Earle fan ever since. 
So you're you're this is not a new pond you're dipping your toe into. This is uh no. still waters run deep with you. The the book that these first couple episodes are going to be kind of drawn from it's called Hardcore Troubadour: The Life and Near Death of Steve Earle. It's by Lauren St. John. I read this book in I think 2004 or 2005 and it is a fascinating it's one of the best rock biographies you will read Hmm. just because steve earl was such a mess for such a long time (laughs) but was also just cranking out these amazing albums the whole time and uh the book has a really happy ending that you wouldn't expect but it also only covers like up to 2000 there's there's more when it comes to steve earl the treasure was the friendship they found along the way i think it's more the guitars he pawned (laughs) along the way i think it's the speed balls he slammed along the way Mm. yeah that's a huge part of steve earl's story is drugs and i mean it's amazing he's alive You know, you think you're used to hearing stories of musicians with drug problems, like Kurt Cobain. We did the whole Nirvana podcast. I'm not familiar. Who is he? He had, he's a famous heroin user. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's only known in drug circles, I think. Oh, got you. Oh, he had a thing. uh, I know him from my uh, macaroni group. I know that he was not big with, uh, yeah, there's certain macaronis he didn't like. He just, look, it's just, you can't put jalapenos in it. That's all. Yeah, right, right. (laughs) He gets this, he has this, I want to set the record straight. Kurt Cobain, what we know about him is largely incorrect. I, I feel like he's famous for the heroin, yes. I first heard about him through his macaroni and cheese consumption yeah, right. and yeah, right. lack thereof. And what I discovered after digging and doing the research is that it's not that there's certain types of macaroni and cheese he won't eat. It's just he won't eat any macaroni and cheese if there's jalapenos in it. That's Kurt Cobain, macaroni and cheese diva. Very That's imp- what he's known for. Very important to get that on the record before yes. we move yeah. on. But I yes. brought I brought up Kurt Cobain because we all know him as this voracious drug user, but you don't hear the stories about Kurt Cobain like you hear about Steve Earle. Granted, Kurt Cobain's story has a much darker ending, but the in-between points, they don't really hold up to what Steve Earle went through when he was using drugs. Yeah, Steve Earle is varsity, Cobain is JV all the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did did any of Steve Earle's many wives ever start working on forging his signature? Though I feel that is coming. Okay, uh, let's not tip the let's not tip the hat too much. Let's uh, the woman he married twice might have, but that's going to be a whole <laughs> episode unto itself. Steve uh, Earle's many, 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 many marriages. I think yeah. he's been married six times to seven different women. It could I, be more than that. I thought it was I think seven it's the times. Other- Seven to six, isn't it? Seven times to six women? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that makes more sense. It would be hard to be, yeah, who knows? (laughs) I mean, it's where he wrote that famous song. I loved her. Seven women. (laughs) Six times to seven women, yeah. Yeah. He has a whole big love phase at one point. He was married to two women at once, (laughs) for sure. One of them wasn't legal, yeah. Mm. I do love that song of his. I loved her so much, I married her twice. That's a good... (laughs) This book, if you want to read it, there's no ebook version. I don't think there's an audiobook version, but you can still buy the paperback and it's a very good read. It's written by a woman named Lauren St. John, who, if you read her acknowledgments at the end, met Steve Earle while working on anti-death penalty campaigns, which is a big part of Steve Earle's background that we mostly won't get into on this podcast because I want to leave some stuff in the book for people to read. I'm not trying to summarize this entire book. That would be uh, probably a crime, if nothing else. And also, too, we should point out that Andy is so pro-death penalty. We just it was just going to be very contentious if the whole time he was like, you know what I love? Killing prisoners. It's one of my favorite things in the world. I don't think you can rehabilitate anybody. So just kill them. That is what Andy Sell has said on record, uh, I believe, in every other show we've done. I shit you not, I had a thought of doing that exact same thing after I mentioned the death penalty stuff. <laughs> you sons of bitches. Don't, mischar- don't mischaracterize my position. I don't want to execute every prisoner. 
I want to execute every person. Oh, okay. Oh, right, 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 right. That makes You're, more sense. Sorry, I You're, am so pro death. I'm so pro death penalty that I feel it should extend beyond the prison system. Sure, sure, sure. And this yeah. is, and and I and I do not appreciate you mischaracterizing <laughs> that very personal belief of mine. And you can send your emails to dictatorandy at genocide dot net. <laughs> yep. Wow, wow. It's a site we just set up. Yeah, just for him. So, mm-hmm. because this book was published nearly 20 years ago it only takes you so far in steve earl's journey and i would argue it misses out on a lot of the really interesting stuff like the time he wrote a song in support of john walker lind the american taliban what (laughs) yes we'll get to it we'll get to that episode what you didn't know that i did not know that (laughs) Well, it wasn't in support. We'll get there. It like he wasn't like, yeah, fuck yeah, Americans join the Taliban. So he, he was more like a Tom was, Petty trying to fix the L.A. riots. He's like, I know it all. No, fix it this. was a it was, song from me. It was more like imagine being that kid's parents and like trying to picture what might have driven him to that as opposed to like sympathizing with it. But that's going to be a whole other episode. Whole others. Uh, Got you. Too much to get through. So much. And uh, so, yeah, after after the events of this book, we're going to have to get creative with the sources. But, uh, yeah, we're just going to kind of hit some of the major milestones in this book, if you can call it that. Uh, And then adding (laughs) our special brand of bullying Andy commentary Mm -hmm. to those Mm -hmm. stories. Well, that's. It's what we do. It's I mean, that's 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 the that's the cornerstone. That's the keystone of the whole deal. The what stone? The corn or stone? Is that what you're saying? Corn or stone? Corn, yeah. Corn Mm -hmm. or stone? That's what we do on the show. Oh, I'm so excited to be doing this again. I've missed the two of you so much. Yeah, it's been a long time since we recorded. I know. uh, Anything happened? No. No? Nothing nothing that I can think of. I think everything's pretty normal. I think everything's, you know, I don't know if you've been keeping up. Travis, but we are back to normal. Orange man out. Everything fine, right? Yeah, everything's okay. everything's perfect. So, uh, yeah. yeah, read this book if you want to read more about Steve Earle. I highly suggest you do that. Also, I think Steve Earle is writing an autobiography. If you Google it, there is a, a book written by Steve Earle out there called, I can't remember if we said goodbye, but you can... Buy it, but only as a library edition pre-order that comes out in March of 2022, and it's $95. Oh, my God. So I'm assuming he does have an autobiography coming out. Mm-hmm. So uh, you'll want to check that out, too. He's also got a short story or a book of short stories called Doghouse Roses. And I just don't fuck with short stories, so I've never you read see, it. I, I mean, I love short stories, so I'm going to I'm sure it's get very that. good. He's, uh, he's, a, he's a great storyteller. So should we dive in? Let's do. Steve Earle. He was born Stephen Fane Earle, January 17th, 1955. The same year, Disneyland, Travis's favorite thing, and McDonald's, yes. me and Andy's favorite thing, Hell were, yeah. were, came to be. Wow. So- a lot of our favorite things all happened in 1955. Like the civil rights era. Rosa Parks and the Emmett Till incidents happened Again, that year. Andy very I'm, vehemently no, anti-civil no, uh-uh. rights. We're not doing this. <laughs> we're not doing that. Steve Earl grew up in various towns in Texas, mostly South Texas. A very political guy, which is an interesting quirk when we're talking country singers, which he sort of is. Like, because of his voice, he's always kind of going to be a country singer. Sure. But after the first two or three albums, he mostly abandons the idea of... Well, I mean, he did make a bluegrass album in 1999, so it comes and goes. But very political. Was uh, politically inclined from the age of six when, like most other kids at the time, he was terrified of Russia and the atomic bomb. Six? I mean, I don't even think I knew what politics were when I was six. Oh, man. I grew up in the 80s. Yeah. yeah and I, I remember like 83, 84, I would have been seven or eight. And I can so vividly remember this issue of Time magazine that had a mushroom cloud on it and just constantly being reassured that 
someone was going to drop a nuclear weapon on us at some point. I was aware of that. I just I, I was constantly scared of being vaporized, but don't think I understood what that meant other than like I would just not be a person. Well, yeah. I I was I was pretty politically inclined early on. I remember It's strange a, that that didn't make it into your adulthood, Andy. Yeah, yeah. no, I I left it all behind. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Weird. look, as soon as W got in office, I was like, okay, we did our job. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember 87, uh well, it was 88. I remember a mock election in 3rd grade where I I voted for Dukakis in the mock election and it was being the teacher. They're all mock elections, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if voting did anything, they'd make it illegal. Well, congrats, they did. So Steve Earle was deeply impacted by the civil rights movement and the anti-war movement, confirmed via the Freedom of Information Act request that the FBI opened a file on him when he was still a teen. This is he before he even made any music. Yes, it's it, because... Back then, I, I read a quote from him, I think. He was like, if you went to an anti-war protest and had your picture taken, oh. there was an FBI file on it. Yeah, you. I mean, if you check the Communist Manifesto out of the library, you made it onto the FBI list. To and be he, fair, though, the photo booths at all the anti-war <laughs> demonstrations did say FBI on them. I mean, it they was do have the FBI well. logo yeah, yeah, if you look yeah, yeah. close, yeah, but, and in the user agreement. But it just... <laughs> But it just had an acronym that just said photo spelled with an F booth incorporated. So <laughs> that's it. That's how they got yeah. you every time. Yeah. He also did read the communist manifesto around this time and has been a devout Marxist ever since. Quick, name your top five devout Marxist country singers. Oh, Ooh, country singers is where you get me on that one. Yeah. Uh, that's I a mean, tough one. probably Johnny Paycheck, I would imagine. Almost certainly sure. Chris Christofferson. David Allen Coe. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> sure. Whoa. So wait, if he's a Marxist, does that mean we we all have to be heroin addicts? Well, it means we all get heroin if heroin. we want well, it. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you want to give yours up for the greater good and give more to Steve Earle. We are the we are the can. workers and we are here to seize the means of addiction. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I would love a communist thing, but it's just an arm being tied off and like <laughs> 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 the needle going into it shaped yeah. like a sickle. Sickle, yes. <laughs> oh, this is fun. We're doing good work. Check I mean, out the should... Unpops merch store. <laughs> we, we barely have one. Oh, my God. So uh, he credits the Communist Manifesto with giving him, quote, the idea that songs should be about something, that there were more things to write about than girls, although I still write about girls. And boy, does he. Yeah. He also yeah. marries them, too. He... I, I saw him in concert once and he, he does a lot of talking from the stage and he was talking about whoever his wife was at the time. And he said something along the lines of, I don't know if y'all know this about me, but every couple years I buy a woman a house. That's great. <laughs> Which, yeah, kinda. It's Are we sure he didn't read the Richard Marx manifesto? Is that <laughs> Richard Marx was great. He was great. So, uh, yeah, he, he, he credits the Communist Manifesto with that. He was introduced to heroin by his uncle Nick the summer <laughs> well, you know, Look, it's a good song, okay? It's a good song. And Uncle Nick, you know, if I were an uncle, if I had a cool nephew that I wanted to make sure was cool, I'd play him fucking Lou Reed records when he was a freshman in high school, too. No, 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 Andy, Andy. The actual what? drug, heroin. Oh, oh, that's, okay, that's not good. That's and bad. You, you also- what? Didn't let me get to the before his freshman year in high school. Okay, well, let's take part. it again then. That's very early, I would argue, to introduce someone to heroin. Sorry, I completely stepped on that. No, no, no. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Before his freshman year. Not so like during. The summer after eighth grade, yes. Yeah, that's too early. If you're gonna do it, if you're gonna do it freshman year, you need to wait till like at least winter break at the earliest you know. Maybe spring break would be a more appropriate time. So he's already had, you know, a semester and a half under his belt of, of high school. And yeah. that's when you get into heroin before high school that summer. No, that's not a good time for heroin. Too I soon. don't know, man. You know, if you have an uncle junkie, I say you hang out with them and just learn the ways, you know, yeah. it's better to learn from a family member. Yeah. How else are you going to learn? So uh, he was a full on hippie in high school, including the part where those filthy monsters never showered. Does he that, shower now? 
Oh, I don't oh, know. Yeah. That it's definitely it seems like a thing he's carried on through a lot of his professional career. And if you uh, see Steve Earle, it makes sense. Like go yeah. picture Go Google a picture of modern day Steve Earle. It's not someone you're going to, granted, he's doing much, much better now. Mm -hmm. I mean, in terms of his recovery. Yeah. uh, He's had some tumult in his life recently. Steve Earle looks like if Hagrid were real. Like yeah. that's how I like a guy who worked at a magic place that tended to animals. He looks like, I, he looks like bubbles, AA sponsor on the wire. It looks a lot like him. Almost oh. identical. <laughs> <laughs> because he is. That's a he great also, reference. He also, is it the final season where he sings the uh, theme song, which is down in the hole by Tom Waits? Yeah, it's, but I someone, don't know if it's the final, but I just was listening to it the other day. It randomly came up. Uh, I yeah. forgot he did a version of it. Yeah. One of the seasons of The Wire, he sings the intro song. We probably could have mentioned that up top, but let's get back to all this country music shit. Uh, he says there were three divisions at his school. The Cowboys, who were the rednecks, the Kickers, who were the rich kids, and the Freaks. Guess which group he was a part if, of. If I had to guess, just of those are the three, um, I would probably put him in uh, Observer of Time. <laughs> <laughs> same. Same. Yeah, that's where I'd put him. This is a well, quote. What? Go ahead. I was just going to say, of those three groups, you know, it's always going to be a two on one. Like the, I feel like no one's going to team up. Like the kickers are never going to team up with the freaks against the Cowboys and the Cowboys are never going to team up with the freaks against the kickers. Like it's basically like the, it's always a, a, a two on one. Oh yeah. Oh, and I this- feel like he kind of has a Venn diagram of, of, of rednecks and freaks overlapping. That's what I would say. Yeah, maybe, maybe this is a quote from him about that. It was a real division and it got violent. Kids fought about it. I got my hair cut with a pocket knife three or four times on my way home from school. I got beat half to death just because I had long hair. It just happened in Texas those days. I love this next detail. Mm -hmm. He said all of that changed when Willie Nelson started holding his annual 4th of July picnic in Texas in 1973. Here's another quote. I'm serious as a heart attack. In 1973, when Willie Nelson started having the 4th of July picnics and these big gigs, all of a sudden Texas became, at least on that level, more tolerant. Which Willie that's Nelson. interesting. Willie Nelson, healing a nation. Yeah, no, seriously, Willie Nelson is, God, I love Willie Nelson. Yeah, I saw, I got to see Willie Nelson in concert once. I don't know why I said that like he's dead and I'll never see him perform again. <laughs> uh, it just feels like he kind of should be. FedEx spokesperson, Willie Nelson, you saw in concert? That's amazing. I only know him from his FedEx work. Well, I went and saw him uh, because I saw him in Wag the Dog. and Oh, oh, famous actor, Willie Nelson. Yeah, yeah, that's how I... I know him as a Texas Ranger on a season of uh, Miami Vice. That's how I know him. Yeah, that's how I found out he did music is because of Wag the Dog. Bio Willie? (laughs) You know, he had his own line of bio diesel. I do. The... Gas stations throughout the world. <laughs> so uh, I thought he just saved farms. Yeah, he does. I thought he made Band-Aids for farms. Farm Aids. <laughs> I, th- I thought he made Kool-Aid for farms. That's what it is. Farm Aid actually comes up in the Steve Earle story. He, uh, he, he did it one year and came away from it feeling like it was more to make the, the, the people performing more famous than they already were. Ah. Mm. As opposed to helping actual farmers. And he wrote a fantastic song about it called uh, The Rain Came Down, which is on uh-huh. his second album. And uh, I don't think I had any of that in the notes. So riffing. It's like I'm a Learned freestyle it. rapper right now. Are you so kidding me? Farm Aid made to help farmers, but really it was about growing your following. Come on, guys. Whoa. Come on, everybody. That was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Eh. I'm out. So uh, Steve Earle, often credited by people who talk about him as one of the most genuinely intelligent people they've ever known, dropped out of high school in the ninth grade to <laughs> oh, so uh, that's all pursue you need. a music career. So the same year he started heroin. No, Weird, the summer. Right? He started heroin that summer. Then he started school. I can't imagine Someone doing heroin before ninth grade and then dropping out of high school in ninth grade. I don't, I don't see a connection. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. 
That's for sure. Yeah, heroin just helps the brain absorb information. This is part of the... <laughs> I mean, you know what they say. If you study on heroin, you take the test on heroin. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're going to skip over some things on these first couple episodes because we're just talking about his music. But we'll get back. Like the part where he's been married seven times to six different women. Mm-hmm. We'll, uh, that we'll, we know of. Yeah. Yeah. So far. But for now, let's fast forward to 1974. That's when Steve Earle moved to Nashville, mm. landed right in the heart of the still developing outlaw country scene. I have always found it very interesting that a radical leftist Marxist musician emerged <laughs> from the outlaw country scene, which I would argue produced the most racist album that wasn't recorded by like a skinhead band which, yeah i was gonna say that's a caveat we need because of yeah. screwdriver but david allen co oh boy yeah he's got this uh, he, he just google it well like we can barely even talk about it yeah i also don't know if this if i would count david allen co as like necessarily definitively emblematic of the outlaw country scene right because the, yeah the outlaw country scene was very much about taking I mean, it was it was about country singers singing country musicians seizing the means of production from the Nashville institution. Like it really was yep. a, a kind of a progressive movement in a lot of ways with with a lot of leftist ideas going on in it. But of course, I mean, it's still it's still country music. So there's still going to be a lot of bullshit. But yeah. Yeah. David Allen Coe. Wow. Not not cool. Not cool, Dave. There's a really I mean, it's a good documentary if you're into these musicians in that movement but either way it's the first place we see steve earl in media of any sort is in a documentary that came out in 1974 called heartworn highways mm. which is a documentary about the birth of the outlaw country scene and it's a very intimate documentary like it's a lot like they filmed it themselves it's just them hanging out and you see a very young steve earl a few times in that documentary and you can even just tell in that documentary why people gravitated toward him as a musician in that scene like he's he's got got a shit like to marry six Women seven times, you have to have a very magnetic personality. Especially if you are known for not showering. Right. Right. But he's real young. He's not even 20 in 74. That's the other thing. Yeah. He, well, like I said, he dropped out in ninth grade to start music. Yeah. And I mean, I obviously left a lot of details out in between him moving to yeah. Nashville, but yeah, he, th this was what he wanted to do his whole life. And I, I also think if you watch any footage of him performing live from back then, it becomes pretty instantly clear why people would gravitate towards him. Yeah. It's not like he had the idea, like I want to do this thing. And it was like, no, that's not your thing. That's clearly no, his thing. Very yeah. much his thing. And he's, you know, he's attractive and charismatic and, and enthusiastic and and high and <laughs> hyper confident yeah like oh, yeah. and and he, like we're we're talking him up now but we're gonna get to some some kurt cobain moments where we're gonna be like mm, do i like this guy yeah yeah, yeah there's I definitely was, <laughs> i was talking to my wife brandy about this and she's like steve Earle, he's such a great guy and i went yeah yeah because <laughs> she never married him yeah six times <laughs> so this is where he met two of the most important figures in his life. Country music legends Guy Clark and Towns Van Zant. Watch that documentary, if for no other reason than to hear those two play music. Yeah. Like, they are both really fucking great. Unreal. And they will, like, if you're really averse to country music, I can't imagine that Towns Van Zant and or Guy Clark wouldn't change your mind a little bit like they don't sound like what you think of when you're thinking of country music yeah there's definitely bad country and there's definitely stuff there's a reason why like certain people just have a, a country phase if they're not from the south because there just comes a point where you go holy fucking shit what are these guys doing this is an unbelievable storytelling and musicianship like house they've built mm -hmm. yeah yeah yeah, he's he's released entire cover albums of Towns Van Zant and Guy Clark songs. 
one's called Towns and the other's called Guy. Let me but, guess. Towns but, is about Guy and Guy is yeah, about Towns. Yeah. That's okay. that's the that's where he gets you, you know? That's the, that's where yeah. the poetry exists. Uh-huh. I interesting. I just think this is a fun coincidence. We just talked about a Guy Clark song on an episode of Look Good for the Boys recently because it came up in a movie we were talking about. And then that very same day, I get these notes talking about Guy Clark and Steve Earle. And it was like, hey, this That's is a because op- perfect light- opportunity for me to promote my other podcast. <laughs> what is this, Farm Aid? Come on, stop trying to grow your following. I'm just trying to make my following bigger. <clears throat> right? And edit that part out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Well, I, I just beeped out the name of the podcast. Thank you. Appreciate it. And most of what Andy's said up to this point. Good. I'm assuming Andy is nothing but beeps by the time this is Which is mixed. weird because yep. I had Andy edit this episode and it's crazy that he went along with all that. I just but... cut everything I said yeah. out. When I hear Andy talk, it sounds like Beaker from the Muppets. That's what I hear. So that's a good, that's good, Travis. You should do voice work. <laughs> Fucking try it. <laughs> So it was Guy Clark who got Steve his first publishing deal way back in 1975 with Sunbury Dunbar, a division of MCA. That's the other thing about Steve Earle. He gets started really early and it just takes forever for him to actually get a record deal. Like as much as people admire his songwriting, as hard as he works, it just never comes together, which reminds me of this. I don't even remember the guy's fucking name, but there was some baseball player in a game I was watching who came out of high school as the highest rated prospect in baseball that year and ended up staying in the minor leagues for like 12 seasons before he finally got called up. Like, talk about not delivering on your promise. This is a phenomenon I think you see a lot in lots of different fields. I mean, we talk about all the time in comedy too, the, the idea of the comics comic, you know? Well, Leslie Jones is a good example. She started comedy around the same time Steve Earle's first album eventually came out. I think she started, I think she started in 87 and it was Chris Rock who finally like got her on SNL. Like they were looking to hire black writers and he suggested Leslie Jones, but she had been fucking grinding it out in comedy for decades and decades. And it didn't take Steve Earle that long, but 1974 to that first album comes out in what? 86. So that's a long time. It's still Still a long time. It's still a long time time. to be working on this without even an album, you know? And like he had breaks. He, he joined Guy Clark's touring band for a while, uh, played bass, even though he couldn't play bass. Guy Clark said, "I, I figured if he could play guitar, he could play the bottom four strings. How hard could it be? Harder, Harder than, you, than think, you think, apparently. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. also... Fieldy makes it work. Oh, well, well yeah, you, but yeah. Guy Clark probably wanted Steve Earle to tune his bass <laughs> instead of just slap it. <laughs> Slapping the bass. Uh, also, like Steve Earle... of Fieldy making a country record. Oh, no. <laughs> it would also have to be called Fieldy of Dreams, I it think. It would. It absolutely yeah. would, yeah. Uh, also, Steve Earle immediately lost the bass guitar that Guy Clark loaned him for that of course so did. that was a problem that was a problem too. heroin doesn't make you keep track of things like you, you get real kind of forgetful yeah and heroin is such a feature of steve earl's <laughs> life for such a long time steve earl feet heroin and the thing is he just he was so good at what he was doing that no one really paid attention to that because he was a very high functioning drug addict for a long, long time. Yeah. But he was still like, it was holding him back enough for him to not be moving ahead in this field. And he was losing bases and shit. Here's, here's who he reminds me of. We just did an episode of another Unpops network podcast or a season of another Unpops network podcast called you don't even like sports, which is a sports podcast for people who don't like sports. And the most recent season covered Diego Maradona, who is probably the most beloved soccer player, possibly the most accomplished soccer player in the world. And also was just a mess of a person who kind of wrecked his life by doing cocaine and there's an interview with him later in life where he's like man imagine if i wasn't doing cocaine like imagine what kind of player i would like he was almost kind of implying like you're lucky i did (laughs) as much cocaine as i did oh not i could have been even better but i was good because of the cocaine no 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 as in his opponents were lucky 
he was doing all that cocaine. Yeah, because he would have he would have he would have embarrassed everyone else playing soccer because he wouldn't have been Yeah. Got I mean it. there's that's I feel like it's a little column A, a little column B, you know? Yeah. So Steve Earl, he he gets seemingly gets his start with Guy Clark. Nothing ever comes of it. He he loses that publishing job. He gets oh, married. We mentioned the publishing job, didn't we? Uh yeah, I did. I said uh-huh. uh Steve. Oh, yeah, yes, yes, yes. The, yeah. the yeah, Sunbury yeah. thing, yes. Sunbury yeah, Dunbar. He was making uh, $75 a week at the time, which uh, I'm assuming that was good money in not 1974. Really. It's yeah, about uh, $375 a week. Yeah, no, it's $75 a week. I mean, in modern day, it'd be 375 Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, probably not that good then. But that buys a lot of heroin. It does, yeah. in 1974 yeah. money. Yeah. yeah. So he loses that publishing job. He spends like the next half decade or so getting married and getting divorced <laughs> a few times, but not doing much. I mean, it's good practice for songwriting. Yeah, and I'm not joking. He gets married and divorced like three times in this five-year span. Listen, if at first you don't succeed, you got to keep trying. You know, you got to, you just, it's practice. It's muscle memory. You know, eventually you just figure out how to maintain a marriage. He ends up getting an in-house songwriter job with another publishing outlet in Nashville. And at the age of 26, finally had a song reach the top 10. It was a song called When You Fall In Love that he wrote for Johnny Lee, the guy who sang Looking For Love. It's not a good song. Hmm. I mean, it's not, like, it's not it's not terrible, but it's sung by the guy who sang Looking For the Love. The Looking so. For Love in All The Wrong Places had another love song he he apparently had <laughs> one more hit that was written by steve earl he just pulled a, a full-on sugar ray like well they like this one thing i'm just gonna keep making love songs songs that say love in it yeah so uh what's most important about moving this story forward we're skipping over a lot more stuff i I'm, i promise we'll get to the marriage stuff on a later episode because it dominates a lot of this point in his life but uh he finally decides he wants to put an album out And that dream manifests itself in the form of a four song EP released in 1983 called black and pink. And it's mostly important because that's the point in history where he adopts his band name, Steve Earl and the Dukes. The lineup then was way different than it is now. And they are all names. No one's going to recognize. So why go through it? I just got that. That's a pun. Yeah. Earl and the Dukes. Yeah. Yeah. I just got it though. I was just like, I wonder why he picked the Oh, the Duke of Earl. I get it. Duke. Duke, 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 Duke of Steve, Duke. Earl, Earl, <laughs> Earl. So that tape, the black and pink demo, it finally makes its way to the desk of a guy named John Lomax who had connections at CBS. He signed Steve Earl to a singles deal with Epic around this time. Steve Earl also re-signed with Opiates around this time. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a powerful partnership right there. That's, I, do, that's sure, yes. I feel like he's going to do big things for them. But they'd been scouting him from an early age, to be honest. Yeah, yeah they saw him yeah. back when he was in JV. They were, yeah. they were, they were looking at him before he was even starting. They're like, they're like this this high school kid has potential. If he uh, would this, just, if he would just drop out and just completely give himself over to it, I think he could be a star player for us. This, this kid's got all the numbers we like, but he needs to, he needs to put a little more weight on him. So. uh the singles deal with Epic didn't go anywhere either. He, he released a few singles, didn't perform that well. From there, he has this chance encounter with an old friend who gets him signed by a production company run by one of the Oak Ridge Boys. Anyone remember the Oak Ridge Boys? They sang, oh, yeah. Elvira. Elvira. I saw them in concert as a child. Really? And oh, man. It was Dude. Uh, pretty great. The Oak Ridge Boys have one of my favorite Christmas songs. Oh, yeah? What was yeah, that? Or, uh, or no. Not, is it Christmas? Elvira Christmas. <laughs> Christmas, Elvira. And, Christmas and Hollis is the song you're thinking of. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do they know it's Christmas? Uh, no, it's called Uncle, Lu- Uncle Luther Made the Stuffing. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like an Oak Ridge Boys Christmas song. Mama Made the Turkey. Uncle Luther Made the Stuffing. Like, it's really good. I really like it during Christmas. And this is the point in history where Steve Earle finally starts writing the songs that would make up his first album, Guitar Town. A few of the songs were written during a weekend trip to a mansion owned by the guy with the really deep voice in the Oak Ridge Boys. I didn't write his name down. No oh my cares. God, I know it. I know it. It's uh, Richard Sturban. Fox? Richard Sturban. Richard Sturban? Yeah. That doesn't sound right. S-T-E-R-B-A-N. Sturban. Now, maybe. I don't know. Or maybe I'm thinking of the wrong guy. Either I way. No, I have no opinion on this. Either way, he meets a legendary country music executive there named Tony Brown, who he immediately clashed with. (laughs) 
Uh, Tony Brown thought Steve Earle was a jerk, which is going to be a very much a running theme throughout this podcast. Uh, Steve Earle thought Tony Brown was just another music row executive who knew nothing about real music. This is starting to remind me of a guy that we <laughs> talked about a while ago. At one point, they get into a heated argument where Steve Earle yells, nobody's going to remember these fluffy little ear candy records you're making. They'll be forgotten as soon as radio quits playing them. And besides that, you're short. You're that last short. part seems mean, if I'm being honest. I think it was uh, Steve Earle that hired the Skyrider <laughs> to uh, put the Joe Rogan message in the air. Good Lord. I feel like there was a photo shoot where like heroin is holding a plus and Steve <laughs> Earle is holding a minus. I feel is like what happened. <laughs> Uh, yeah that, that does seem mean that's a little that's a little excessive but they eventually make nice after steve played tony brown a song called my old friend the blues and uh tony brown was so enamored he asked him to play it twice that song is pretty great it's a good song yes. i mean that's just after a guy you just had a clash with to be like all right that was pretty good play it again like you're that's- you're short i don't fucking like you now i'm gonna play you a song <laughs> And then the now guy, listen to this pretty like, song I wrote. <laughs> and Beautiful. Be like, fuck, yeah, it's a good song. Can I hear it again? It'll make me <laughs> yeah, hate you I, just a little less. Look, I guess you're right. You know, five seven's not very tall. <laughs> I'm average height, Mr. Earl. I'm average. Let's hear it again. Let's hear it again. So Steve Earl's relationships with women were even a huge point by this this time when they're they're writing guitar town uh at various points that they, they were like again recording it at this big mansion owned by one of the oak ridge boys steve would head into the kitchen and have just an extremely loud shouting match with either his wife or girlfriend uh, <laughs> over the phone come back into the room cuss a bunch and then sit down and write a song about it chain smoking the entire time that's so great This is a quote from Tony Brown, the guy he fought with and called short. These phone calls to his wife were a moment in themselves. They took place in the kitchen and we were in this big, great room. It's like he wanted us to hear these conversations and smoking the cigarettes. It was just a scene out of a movie. That was my first experience with Steve. And I came back willing to lay in the highway in front of a semi to sign this guy. This quote takes a lot of turns. Yeah. does my, my favorite is the fixation on the cigarettes and smoking the cigarettes i mean can you believe it a chain smoker's a different animal though it is yeah, you've ever been really around is. one yeah, yeah oof imagine the amount of chain smoking that has to happen for it to make that kind of impact <laughs> yeah yeah well you're like no you can't it's like i he's just non-stop i remember hearing at one point John Mellencamp smoked five packs of cigarettes a day. What? That and means it's like, from how the, do you find the time? That means from the second you wake up, you're lighting and you're just, you never don't have a cigarette. Here's the thing. John Mellencamp deserves a season of this podcast too. If for no other reason, the time he had a heart attack and then waited a couple days to go to the doctor because he thought he just had the flu. And you know, he was smoking the whole fucking time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to look, I'm going to call it right now. I'm going to call it right now. If we do a John Cougar fucking podcast, can we call it sucking on a chili pod? <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. All right. Then I'm in. So a year or so after that mansion party, Steve Earle signs a seven album deal with MCA Records and begins recording the Guitar Town album. Seven albums. That's a lot. That's a lot. Mm, He didn't make it. (laughs) Uh, Here's a here's a wild detail. The album recorded in just two weeks, which if you listen to it, that's that's pretty impressive because it's a very polished album. But also in that short amount of time started using heroin again again this is the surprise turn not that i'm not expecting him to do heroin but doing something quickly while on heroin is not what i think of i think of i have to do something quickly give me an upper not a i am asleep and shitting myself that's not what i think of and he was deep in it by this point there's a story in the book about a time when he just had lunch with his publicist and he asked her to take him to run an errand and they end up going to south nashville to buy heroin this is a quote from that's her. where all the country heroin guys go 
Yeah, yeah. It's they, well, they have the the authentic Nashville <laughs> yeah. heroin down there. <laughs> it's smoked over cedar. I like my hot Nashville heroin personally. They serve That's it, they like serve it, it. on yeah. a slice of white bread. Yeah, yeah. Pickles. Uh-huh. It's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a quote from her. I'm like, oh my god, oh my god. I'm in this red car. I mean, red. I'm going. We're gonna get busted, you fucking son of a bitch. What are you doing? He goes, oh, you love it. This will be a story you tell your grandchildren. He thought it was the funniest thing. That's Pam Lewis, Steve Earle's former publicist. Again, the things that stick out to the storytellers, like the red car. Well, I mean, that's the, a red car, especially at this time. It's like that's what the cops are looking for. Yeah. It, cops are just attracted to red cars. Yeah. Because they're almost the same color as pigs. <laughs> Steve Earle would be fine with me saying yeah, that's that. that's true. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, yeah. What? yeah. Yeah. And both, I assume both of you are too. Yes. So uh, My father was a red car, sir. <laughs> my grandfather was a cop. Uh, almost certainly a racist cop too. Probably a terrible one. So uh, Steve Earle hands the Guitar Town album into MCA. And it, it splits that record company like Trump split Anonymous. Like one half thinks it's the best goddamn thing they've ever heard. The other half is like, we will kill this man if you give us a chance. We hate him so much. And that was his entire relationship with MCA Records. Half the label all the time thought he was a visionary. And the other half was like, take a fucking bath, you dirty hippie, and just make us a hillbilly album. They just wanted to give him one of those uh, hot shots, you know, already laced with something in it so he could inject and just be done. Yes. Uh, this is a quote from Steve Earle. My relationship with MCA was war from beginning to end. But he was talking about the guy from Beastie Boys. Yeah. yeah it's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's also in the book. Go read yeah. it. We didn't want to. We didn't want to take it all. So uh, Guitar Towns finally released March 5th, 1986. I think it's the best country album of the 80s. So, okay. Guitar Town, March 5th, 1986. What year did it incorporate and get a municipal government and become Guitar City (laughs) is my question. I actually ran for mayor of Guitar Town in 1986. (laughs) I was only nine. uh, uh, Going on 10, so that's cool. (laughs) Guitar Town is, uh, you know, who run Guitar Town? Steve Earl. Steve Earl run Guitar Town. (laughs) But yeah, you you really have to take into account what country music was like in the 80s. Country music in the 80s was about loving God and loving America, when yeah, were the, basically. Well, there, there were people doing like crossover country. There was like, you know, there were country artists that had gone like, main, you know, part, Dolly Parton. Yeah, I mean, there have always, it's like any other music. There have yeah. always been, and even... I don't know if Dolly Parton's best shit came out in the eighties either. Like a lot, a lot of country musicians struggled. So did a lot of rock musicians. Like when the eighties, when people were using synthesizers and Mm -hmm. shit. Oh yeah. That was Go listen to some Dylan albums from around that time. It is a struggle. Neil Young fucking sucked for a lot of the eighties. It was just a thing. And then Steve Earle makes guitar town and it it's, it's like a Springsteen record with a, a, a Southern accent. Kind it's of. got a little bit of petty vibe to it too, or is that just me? Yeah, no, that's no, yeah, that's I agree there. With that. But, but yeah. petty was part of that whole that we're going to get into. I'm sure. No, I mean it was it, a petty album. <laughs> yeah, it was very bitter. Yeah, all the songs about ex bosses, naming them by name. Come on, Steve, you're you're better than that. Which he's totally not. It's no, actually it's pronounced. That did not happen on that album. It's pronounced petty. It's a small album. It's a little album. <laughs> <laughs> Un petit Steve Air, please. S'il vous plaît. But yeah, get, Outlaw Country was mostly over by this point. All that political shit that happened with country music in the 60s and 70s, over by this point. It was just about God and loving America. And Guitar Town is about none of that. It's about angst and restlessness and wanting to get out of any variety of bad situations. I still maintain, and by the time this goes up, I will have posted a thing on the Unpops Patreon to kind of like guide you through Steve Earle's catalog. Because if you're super averse to country music, you cannot start with no. Guitar Town. It no. is it is one of two very overtly country albums mm-hmm. he made in his career. It will, also- MC, it will MCA record exec you. You will go one of two ways. You will love it or you will hate it. I mean, it might change everything, though. Well, it things could, were yeah. one way, and because then heroin happened, what and I then like things to, were another. What I like to say to people who are just, like, averse wholesale 
to one genre of music is get the fuck over yourself. Like, yeah, get, 100%. Like, learn to experience something with an open mind. And because there's a lot of great country. There really is. I was, I and was anti country for a very long time when I was, a, when I was just a in your stance of America, though. Well, I mean, I'm yeah, definitely right. I'm against nations as a whole. I don't think that borders should exist politically. Uh, I only, I only want borders to exist so I can break them down, bro. I only want borders <laughs> to exist so I can buy the New York Times bestsellers cheap. Yeah, but I if you nah. if you start in the middle of Steve Earle's discography and work your way back toward Guitar Town, then this just sounds like Steve Earle songs with less guitar fuzz and communism, basically. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's a fantastic record. That's yeah, good. It's, what did you two think of it? I liked it. Um Again, I, what I what I gravitate towards in quote unquote uh, good country is the storytelling that that someone does with the song that you're basically telling me a story set to music. And I got a lot of that from this record, um, but it still felt like a very green, green record, I guess, like this kind of thing of like, I'd want to hear more from that person. I don't think they've reached their zenith yet. Yeah, I, I kind of have a similar stand. I, I like it a lot. And there are some really good standout tracks. And especially I want to say, because I start to, as his records go on so far, at least, I start to be less invested in his songs about love and women, like the songs about girls, he says. But I really like Goodbye is All We've Got Left on this yeah. on this record. It's like... <clears throat> It it really is kind of a like a heart ripping breakup song, and I love that. And I don't so much love his later, you know, the girl did me wrong songs or whatever. Yeah, but oh, the the little rock and roller stood out to me. Little rock and oh, roller, yeah, that's good. about his yeah. kid. Yeah, but I think overall I'm with Travis in that this is a record where it's like I like it. It's it's good, and I want to hear more. I want to hear him. I want to hear what he does next because it's like this is a this is an artist who's going to start finding better ways to do this, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, and especially the last track, uh, down the road, is like that's the track yeah. where it's like, oh shit! If this is what his next record sounds like, then we're there. Well, not to jump too far ahead, but down the road. And then uh, his next record starts with a song that sounds exactly like it yeah. to the point where I yeah. thought I had hit replay. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's called Exit Zero as if he's just moving down the road. Yeah. yeah I wonder I if like, Steve uh, likes roads. On this, on this album, I like the song Someday mm-hmm. a whole lot. And uh, Fearless Heart is a really iconic Steve Earle song. It, it kind of reminds me of, I think it's a better album than Bleach, but it kind of reminds me of Bleach in that, yeah. I mean, his Bleach period, if you want to call it that, carries on for a couple albums, yeah. but it's that thing where he's definitively one thing at first, and then, like, Nirvana never sounded like they did again on Bleach, right. and that happens. Like, he, he changed. Yeah. He matured. And I think also, too, Goodbye is all we've got left, which knowing his history with the <laughs> <laughs> marriages, it also felt like to me the most, that's a, the second song on the, on the album. It felt the most like I'm trying to write a country song of everything on the record. Yeah. Because it had yeah. all the heartbreak and the ending. This is all we have left to say to one another. Not a bit, not bad, but just one of those, uh, I felt he could be more authentic. Yeah. I yeah. don't know. I, th- I, that song does feel really au- more authentic to me than a lot of his, the, the breakup and love songs that are coming. That's that of those, this, the good, goodbyes all we got left is my favorite of the, of that, like Steve Earle subject. Yeah. And I, sh- I should add, there's a lot more details about what these song, like who and what these songs are about in the book. Uh, I don't like, I don't want to give the whole book away. Also, this episode would be like four hours long. Come on. (laughs) Uh, Did really well with critics. Uh, The album took off weirdly enough after Bruce Springsteen was spotted buying a copy of it (laughs) at a record store in Westwood, California. And from there, it just blew up. Village Voice named it one of the best records of the year. And that's appropriate because Steve Earle was super duper influenced by Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. And especially the Born in the USA album, which had come out roughly two years before this. Yeah, for these first few records, in a lot of ways, just saying like, yeah, it's Texas Springsteen. It really kind of sums it up. Yeah, there was a weird controversy when this record came out. He had a song called Hillbilly Highway, 
And I guess I never realized there was a point in history where the South viewed the word hillbilly kind of like... I mean, they they compare it to how black people feel about the N word. No, not no. a fair comparison. <laughs> For no. like as as the old John Mulaney saying goes, I'm saying hillbilly. I'm not saying the N word. Radically different yeah. things. Right. Yeah, yeah. But it was apparently construed as being very offensive in the South. So a lot of country stations wouldn't play this record because it had a song called Hillbilly Highway what? on it. And uh, they didn't like being associated with it. And it turns into this big movement where country artists like Dwight Yoakam, who came out around the same time as Steve Earle and who's fucking amazing as an actor and musician both and steve earl they like try to reclaim the word steve earl has a quote i agree with dwight that we should start calling it hillbilly hillbilly music again the word country now has a stigma of mediocrity whereas hillbilly has a strength about it it denotes being proud of twang and you know what i kind of agree with them I've yeah. never had a problem. I mean, I had people call me all kinds. I'm originally from Georgia. So when I moved out to California, I got called all of these names. And uh, I like yeah. all of them, to be honest. Well, I just mean in terms of calling his music at the time something other than country. Because country music radio was very much like, oh, that's not quite country. Mm-hmm. So why not reject that on his part? But in terms of the the connotation of the word, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Like I, yeah. I don't, I don't care if the South is offended by the word hillbilly. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I don't, I do not give a shit about what rural white people are offended by. Yeah, hillbilly is in the title of this episode, so that's how much I care. Uh, success of this record did very little for Steve Earle's drug habit, if you can believe that. He was also impossible to contain from a PR standpoint. Country artists are notoriously coached on how to behave and perform in interviews and steve earl just had no fucking i'm sorry are you telling me that the heroin addicted devout marxist who didn't shower and (laughs) married seven times had a problem pr wise i can't i don't see that that's the that's another thing that makes guitar town such an interesting record to me because if you were to play it for someone who'd never heard it had no knowledge of steve earl had never listened to this podcast and you play that record get all the way through it and then you go now let me describe the guy who made (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) it would not they would not see the description of steve earl coming no i 100 percent agree that is a very uh, not the guy that you think it's like the guy you pick a fight with that turns out can totally knock you out you, you, you underestimate yeah, yeah. him, you know? Mm-hmm. He did agree to change one thing about Guitar Town, though. When the song Guitar Town was released as a single, he changed the line, people tried to tell me you won't get far on $37 in a Jap guitar to $37 in a cheap guitar. And he's sung it that way ever since. I mean, my problem would be with the amount of money there. I, I, $37, <laughs> I mean, come on, adjust that. You know what I mean? My problem is there's 40. a lot of really great Japanese guitars. They're very yeah. affordable. Japanese yeah. guitars are pretty valuable. Yeah, now, and, and they're also incredibly well made. So if you're looking yeah. to buy a guitar that is made in Japan, you're actually bang for your buck getting quite a good instrument. Yeah, they're better than the guitars you can buy in like the lower end fenders and things. There was a that period you can of, buy in stores uh, now. Yeah, not to go too deep onto the guitar tangent but there was a period of time where fender had to limit importing fender japan guitars because they were better made than american made fender guitars yeah so they were like no you can't bring that here it makes us look bad so maybe he just changed the line because people were so wrong right just so wrong (laughs) i mean it is also yeah don't use that word what are you doing stop yeah of course but it's also 1986 like oh the words we used in 86 were terrible In terms of racial insensitivity, if we're looking back on Steve Earle and the only thing we got is him using that word in a song in 86, I feel all right about him from that standpoint. We're doing all right. We're doing pretty good. I wonder what David Allen Coe would have said around (laughs) the same time. Well, I'll give you you a good example. Look up, I don't even want to repeat it. Look up what Neil Young said about gay people in 1984. Oh, God. Oh, God. uh, When the AIDS crisis was happening. And uh, he was talking about gay people maybe bagging your groceries. And you don't know if that F word has AIDS. 
I mean, it's like uh, he made a country album at that time too. Yeah, and it's it's like he was really pandering I, I, to that part, and no one ever fucking calls him on that. So well, kill me I, for not getting mad at Steve. I don't want to look up what anyone says about anything ever. I like I'm like I don't need except I, like Springsteen. I still listen to George Strait. You know what I mean? I don't. I'm sure yeah. that guy's got abhorrent worldviews. Nah. Well, listen, uh, we're, but we also are, Dire Straits. Money for nothing. Another song that uses a slur in the middle of it. Oh, and yeah. I, I've heard yeah. that version of the song on the radio. Yeah. But also, you know, we're talking about things that are kind of on the underground a little bit. This wasn't like a massive record in no. terms of right. what people were familiar with. If you go and look at Guns N' Roses, uh, oh you know, my God. Lies. Oh, yeah. That is a hate crime with acoustic guitars. And yeah. that was a multi platinum record. Yeah. And it's yeah. not that far after this. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, Lies came out in like 87 or 88. 88, right? I think, yeah. There is another line in the song or in the album on a song called Good Old Boy that he did refuse to change, which is about a uh, a banker who is described as a funny talking man from Iran. And uh, he explained it thusly, that was meant to be derogatory because it was supposed to reflect the feelings of the character in the song. The guy is angry because he's falling behind economically. That's the whole theme of the song. He uh, sometimes uses a character in his songs called Bubba, and this is a quote about Bubba. Bubba works for a living. His view of the world is 30 minutes of TV news that he watches when he's very tired, and he doesn't understand why everything that's happening is happening to him. So he lashes out at the first thing he sees that's convenient. Bubba's probably a little prejudiced and narrow-minded about some things, but not everybody has time to sit around and drink wine and talk about politics like songwriters and journalists do. Worth remembering, this is Reagan's America, which sucked for everyone, just like Trump's America. Mm -hmm. It's just that uh, in Trump's America, these fucking farmers should have seen it coming because Reagan's America was a nightmare yeah, I still, for farmers. I still don't understand that as someone who grew up in Iowa during the Reagan era and, and has family yeah. that owned farms and watched them fall for this shit over and over and over again. Yeah. And never never understood that, nope, it wasn't the big city liberal Democrats that did this to you. I yeah. mean, they're garbage too, but it was, it was your buddy Ronnie. Your fucking cowboy yeah. pal Ronnie, who rode into your fucking dreams on a John Wayne horse. John you, Wayne horse? And you just fell for it. Yeah, so, yeah a horse, Steve it's Earl a horse with the head of John Wayne. So it's a racist horse? It's a very racist. Oh, that's why, that's why Incredibly you, racist, That's why yeah. you put the muzzle over, the, over his mouth. So, yeah, it, like, hearing Steve Earl say that now, like, all these years later, it sounds kind of antiquated, probably, but Reagan's America was a very different time yeah. and there was a lot of empathy out there for what was happening to american farms and for good reason it was terrible uh, there's a period of time that i remember that bubba meant redneck or hillbilly or whatever that was this like whole undercurrent yeah. thing where there were these bumper stickers in texas that said bubba likes it and that was the whole slogan of texas was this is a place that quote unquote bubba would like so bubba became synonymous with southerner i guess right yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's why the, and, the Joe Lansdale story in the in the movie Bubba Hotep about Elvis. Yeah, and uh, even by this point, Steve Earle is kind of breaking with country music norms. Case in point, he opened for the fucking Replacements. Wow! At one point, imagine showing up to see the nineteen eighties Replacements, and Steve Earle opens with the Guitar Town album. <laughs> like that takes some fucking guts on his part. And I think he said people hated him, but Sure. Whatever. Just the fact that he did it. I want Steve Earl to go on tour with Bobcat now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Goldthwait? <laughs> that would be Do it. They, that would they be hated us tour. Yeah. So uh, in general, Guitar Town, huge success. Sold 300,000 copies. Steve Earl got two Grammy nominations behind it. At one point in 1986, while touring behind the Guitar Town album, he stayed up late on the tour bus getting high on mushrooms. Fuck, Fuck yeah. yeah. Mushrooms are great. That's what the, you should be doing, Steve. That's the drug yeah. you should mm -hmm. be doing. Yeah. Keep, and, uh, keep your mind open, Steve. After passing an exit sign, Steve shouted for the bus driver to stop, made everyone get out of the bus to go have a gander at what caught his attention. And it was a green highway sign that said exit zero. He decided right then and there his next album 
would be called Exit Zero. And that sign would be the album cover photo. And that's where we'll pick up this story on the next episode. Wow. Staring at a shroom sign, deciding to make a new record. I want to know how long he stayed out there after he made that declaration. some say he's still there today. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually in the book. I think it was hours. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I want to, the the driver of that bus must have just been like, okay, cool idea for a record cover. Can we go? The driver of the bus was like, great, another band that thinks this is going to be the best album cover ever. (laughs) This is the sixth band (laughs) that has done this to me. What's, What's really interesting, I don't bring him up in the notes at all, but Steve Earle's bus driver is a huge part of his career. Like he's one of the people who was with Steve Earle the entire time. The events of this book are playing out. Oh man. Are you saying I like that? (laughs) His bus driver lasted longer than his marriages. (laughs) Every single one of them. (laughs) That's amazing. Look, sometimes you don't need, you know, to get married, you just need a good bus driver. Yeah. You just, yeah. yeah. Look, it isn't being a good partner, just being a good bus driver, just helping your partner get from the next part to the next, you know, just from one place to another. I mean, I don't currently, I don't currently have a license, so I would absolutely (laughs) accept a friend like that in my life. I'm just here to provide safe passage for my partner. That's my whole life. Look, honey, I'm just going to stop at the railroad tracks for you and, uh, that's, I mean, that's all I got. I know where there's good no, okay. snacks. No I planned a route. Look, that's all I can do for you. So the next episode, we're going to be talking about Steve Earle's second and third albums, Exit Zero, and most importantly, Copperhead Road, Copperhead which is the reason Road. that episode is called Heavy Metal Bluegrass. Hell yeah. Uh, until then, do we have any, any final thoughts on Guitar Town era Steve Earle? Excited. He's an interesting guy. Yeah, interesting it's gonna get, guy. It's going to get crazier from here. Exactly. Yeah, and and that's the feeling I get from the record too. Like maybe that's because I know a little bit more about him now before we before I really dove into that record. But there's that thing of like this is going to go somewhere else. That's what I got from that record. Is where else does this go? And I think it's darker. Oh yes, very much so. Yeah. So uh, do we have anything to plug? Before we get out of here, uh, I just want to plug Andy's uh, anti-government website again. That is uh, stop. No, what do you? <laughs> what is this? Well, do you want to plug that one or the the pro death penalty? Oh, I website? mean, they're they're very similar. But if you just just again, that's tyrantandy at genocide dot net, um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that is where you can find everything about Andy Cell. Andy, Andy, put him in a cell. That's what he says about people he doesn't like. I don't know what I did. <laughs> Uh, you started the, you started that website yeah andy do you have anything you would like to plug andy besides that website i, gotta, I would that. like to plug some mustard yes <laughs> um i'm going to plug uh look look good for the boys a horror gossip podcast it's me and my friend philip talking about horror movies we got an exciting summer slate planned so check that out uh andy at Andy underscore cell S E L L on Twitter. And that's about all I got. Uh, I don't, I, I don't got, if you're listening to this, you're doing everything I need you to do. You can follow me on Twitter at Adam Todd Brown or on Instagram uh, at Adam Todd Brown. Yeah. Do that. I, I enjoy following both of these gentlemen. Follow Travis too. I don't know where I just, I'm at track rivals on both Instagram and uh, Twitter. There you go. Now you know where to find us. Now all, you know, including you, Steve Earl. Sorry. All right. I love you. Let's get out of here. Uh, Andy, say goodbye. (sighs) Goodbye. I'm sorry. Travis. Travis, say goodbye. Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. We love you. (laughs) 